Let's have some fun. Let's open up the mailbag. We'll get into some Jason Tatum slander. Am I slandering Jason Tatum? Really? Uh, plus, we'll get into Robert Williams, who's coming back. But is there concern about him and his injury history? Plus, Joe Mazzulla's gum chewing. Where did that go? All that. Plus, another personal question about me, my process about becoming a reporter. It's all right now on the Locked On Celtics podcast. Be ever ready. Recognize the city of champs. Boston, baby, we do what you can't. Locked on number 18, Tatum and Brown, J team. Step back, we gon' wet that and slay teams. Of course, the Celtics, who else could it be? Screaming like KG with the Larry OB. Corral is above average, assessing the team status. Best daily pod, no cap, salary matching. Clutch like Bird to DJ, keep John on replay. Primetime, dapping up the truth on the sideline. Rain and Jays, how it started, raising banners, how we finished. Locked on Celtics pod, home of the winners. B. Hey there, welcome back to the Lockdown Celtics podcast right here on the Lockdown Podcast Network where it's your team every day and your team is the Boston Celtics. I cover the Celtics every day for you. I'm here for you Monday through Friday with a free, fresh podcast dropped directly to your device. You can also catch the show on YouTube, hop in the comments section there, talk about the team, talk about the podcast, talk about whatever you want uh, when it comes to the Celtics and basketball. I'm John Corrales. I cover the Celtics for Boston Sports Journal. I used to play once upon a time, and I've written a book called Boston Celtics All-Time All-Stars. I thought today would be great if we just dipped into the mailbag. Celtics have a couple of days off. They play on Tuesday. This is the Tuesday episode. The Monday episode was the one that dropped early on Sunday. That kind of served as your Monday podcast. So back on track here with the Tuesday episode dropping on the regular schedule. Wednesday episode will be a post-Sacramento podcast, which will be super, super late. That podcast might drop right around the time you wake up. So subscribe to make sure you get these dropped directly to your vice uh, wherever you want to. Uh, I'm just happy to be part, be along here for the ride. So one bit of news, Robert Williams will return against the Sacramento Kings. I got a Robert Williams question coming up in the second segment. So that's good. The only players on the injury report right now, Danilo Gallinari, Peyton Pritchard. So everyone else, Ready to play. Sacramento Kings is a big game. The Celtics have to take this game seriously. This is huge. We're past the, oh, I'm so bored with the regular season. We're past all that now. We're past it because the Celtics are now percentage points behind Philly in third place. The, the Celtics now have the to, to fight for seeding. There's 10 games left. There's no more room for this stuff, so they have to fight. So let's see how seriously they take the Sacramento Kings uh, on Tuesday night. That's going to be an interesting one. So let's hop into the mailbag. Let's just start off with Marcel, who said, hello, longtime listener. I don't have social media, but I just wanted to state that your Jason Tatum slander is starting to reach Dennis Schroeder level proportions. Excuse me? What? Is it? Honestly, I want people to hop in the comment section right now. Tell me if this, if you perceive this as Jason Tatum slander. Because what I say uh, about Jason Tatum is based in fact, based in the criticism of a guy who was playing at an MVP level, who I said was playing at an MVP level, who I said at the beginning of the season was the leader for MVP and who has fallen off from that, that, that uh, pedestal. So I'm not here slandering Jason Tatum. I have nothing against Jason Tatum. I think he's a, an amazing basketball player who could be playing at an MVP level. However, he's just, 
he's fallen off. His shooting has fallen off, but I'm not getting on him for missing shots. I'm getting on him for taking bad shots. I'm getting on him for not playing up to his potential. That's I, I'm not here to be, you know, rooting pom-pom waving Celtics guy. I'm just not. That's not what this is about. This is about how can the Celtics win a championship? Every podcast, every goal, every analysis that I have for this team is geared towards how are they going to win games? What did I see? What have I seen? What's going on? And and how are they going to win games? How is this helping or hurting that cause? And we cannot ignore the fact that Jason Tatum's performance has been somewhat hurtful. And the team follows Jason Tatum's lead. It's just what it is, man. It's just what it is. So please don't misconstrue it as slander. I'm not here to slander Jason Tatum. I want Jason Tatum to succeed. He works hard. He's a good guy. He's good for Boston. He's in every sense of the word. He says the right things after, after games. He, he clearly works hard. He's clearly working on his body. He's clearly a, like a good dad. He's, he does a lot of great things. So there's nothing to slander him about, but there's plenty to criticize him over. And Brian says Tatum's shooting is freaking me out. I fear that his wrist is injured, but the fix would put him out for the rest of the season. If all he needs is some rest, couldn't the team force him to sit out a couple of games? This is, I've never really acknowledged the wrist thing in all of my discussions. I've never really looked at the left wrist as some sort of issue because they haven't made it an issue. It's not on the injury report. And if it's not on the injury report, then I can't really go too deep into it because if, if it's not that, if it's not as bad for it to go on the injury report, then you know what? It's, it's not, he's getting, he's getting to the rim. He's getting to his spots. He's, he's just not doing it consistently enough. So I don't think the wrist is the issue. Should he have sat for a couple of games? Yeah, I think he should have. I think he should have sat the Portland game. I think the Utah game would have gone a lot better for him. I think the two days off would have made that Utah game. Watch how he plays against Sacramento. I bet you he has a, a killer game against Sacramento with the two days off. I was hoping that he would sit against Portland because that would have given him two days off. I think, I think the Celtics could have beaten Portland without him. I think he could have carried them past Utah with the extra day off and then get him through, you know, Sacramento, he would have had two days off. So yeah. Should he have sat? I'm, I'm hoping that when it's all said and done, that the Celtics raise a banner, hoist a trophy, take that duck boat ride, because then we can just flush a lot of these criticisms down the toilet and say, you know, where it all worked out, but I'm afraid that Tatum is going to run out of gas. I'm afraid that they played him too much. I'm afraid that the early season when the Celtics came out of that, uh, Ime Udoka stuff and they, I thought the Ime stuff was good for the team because they rallied and they came together and they went on that big stretch early on. But at the same time, I think it, it, it was in retrospect, Worse than I thought because Joe Mazzulla reacted by playing Tatum and Brown a ton. 
And maybe he should have sat those guys out more. Maybe he should have played them 32 minutes a game to start. You know, the Brad Stevens, start them playing 32 minutes and then ramp them up. I remember when Brad was coaching, we would say, should you play Jason Tatum more? And it was like, no, there's part. It's a marathon, not a sprint. He would talk about the marathon, not the sprint all the time. And that's, that's, I think some of that should have, should have been relayed or impressed upon Joe Missoula early on, but here we are. It's too late. 10 games left too late for that. So I believe that Jason Tatum is an MVP caliber player. Let's just get that out of the way. He's an MVP caliber player. He's just not playing at an MVP level right now. And when you're not playing up to your potential, I will criticize. And that's, I know I'm doing my job because I've gotten both the, you don't criticize Jason Tatum enough and you slander Jason Tatum too much. So if both, both sides are complaining, then I feel like I'm, I'm on a, a, the right, kind of the right mix here. If you don't perform and I think you can perform better, then I will, I will have some criticism for you. That's the end of the story because that's how I, I want to be held. I want to help be held to that standard as well. If people think I can podcast better, I want to know if there are, t- I always want to know how I can be better. I've always wanted to know how I could be better. That's how I operated when I was playing. I always want to hear the criticism. I want to see the game film. Tell me how, tell me how I can be better. And I will go try to be better. I'll come back with some more questions here, including the Robert Williams question in just a minute. First, FanDuel is here. It's illegal in Massachusetts. So that means a lot of you are downloading FanDuel for the first time. Make sure when you do that, you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's how you get a no sweat first bet of up to $1,000 in bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. The March Madness tournament is a huge, huge betting uh, event. So now is the perfect time if you want to get in on it to download FanDuel, America's number one sports book. You can bet on everything. Money line, point scorers, individual scorers, three-pointers drained, anything you want. You can even combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout in a same-game parlay. Those of you in Massachusetts who are just figuring it out, you know that FanDuel, the app, is super quick, super easy, uh, super safe. You're worried about that kind of stuff. How soon do I get my money after I win? A couple of hours, it can go directly into your bank account. That's how quick FanDuel works. So if you're interested, FanDuel.com slash locked on. You get your no no sweat first bet of up to $1,000 in bonus bets at FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Please, I ask you to please gamble responsibly. Thanks for making Locked On Celtics your first listen every day. Make Locked On NBA your second listen. I host on Wednesdays with Jake Madison. We cover the whole league, big pictures, uh, big picture stuff across the whole league. It's there on wherever you got this podcast and on YouTube. Also, Locked On Game to Game, each side of the story, the local hosts, local experts get you caught up on the night in the NBA. They're both on the same feed, so subscribe there. You get two great podcasts. You can also watch on YouTube. Back to the mailbag, Mike Dixon says, why does Joe think the C's are the Golden State Warriors? Uh, only Al is the uh, has the elite three-point shooting this year, uh, and he's smart enough to know it becomes counterproductive to just chuck up threes. Uh, okay, so the three-point shooting is, is an issue. Um, 
And it's not that I don't care. I really don't care about the number. I don't care if they shoot 53 pointers uh, in a game. That's, that's not something that is, is really important. The number isn't what's important. That that's, we, we look at a number and we say, Oh my God, there's 40, 43 pointers. That's gotta be too much. If they are moving the ball and they are attacking and they get the paint touch and they kick and they shoot open threes, I'm fine with those. If they, if they are getting good looks and on top of, Hey, you're getting your layups, you're getting your free throws, but if they close off the rim and your read is corner and it goes corner for a three or corner swing, great, fine. 53-pointers, 63-pointers, I don't care if all of your shots are three-pointers. If you generate them the right way, and they're not. The pull-up three-pointers are terrible. Jason Tatum, I just did a piece about him on the, lockdown, on the um, Boston Sports Journal, and his, his pull-up numbers it, this season are below 30%. Pull-up three-pointers, below 30%. You just, I don't want to see those. You have to, you have to do them every once in a while. Every once in a while, you do have to take one of those shots to keep the defense honest. I, I, I 100% agree with that notion. Every once in a while, you can be like, hey, if you're not going to guard me out here, then I will step into a rhythm three-pointer. That is fine. That is fine. Because if you're not being guarded, you can step into it and just take that rhythm three and feel comfortable about it. As opposed to a guy is kind of closely guarding you and you still want to take that three, I, I'm not, no. Get, you know, somebody's got to develop that that kind of like hesitation, that little head fake that I'm doing on the YouTube page. Just that little put your hand out like you're going to go for the ball and then kind of do that head fake and then boom. You know, you can sham got him and do that move, whatever you can do. But that some sort of fake, something to kind of get the guy moving towards you so you can blast by him, do that. Um, but the, the, the types of three-point shooting, the types of three-pointers they generate, are that's the important thing. I very rarely am worried about a number necessarily unless it's like a shooting percentage and you want to shoot a certain percentage from three, you want to make sure you're shooting above 30, 36% from three. You want to make sure you're shooting above 40% from the corner. You want to make sure that you're shooting above a certain number in certain situations. That that's the number I'm worried about. I'm not worried about total numbers necessarily, because those don't always tell the, tell the whole story. It's about the process. It's very much that Kaizen Brad Stevens thing where process over results. Give me the good process. The results will come. So that's the three-point shooting. David, we all saw how deep the Celtics bench was when starters were out before the All-Star break. Uh, it's not usually done at the NBA level, but what keeps coaches from going deeper in their benches when it's clear at certain games like Houston that the regular starters just aren't in it? That's tough. That's tough because it's not like college, and you can't uh, you can't get into the, you know, I'm benching this guy and, you, it's, it's hard in the pros. You can't just say, I'm benching Jalen Brown or I'm benching Jason Tatum. You can't do that. Um, because it opens up so many questions. It's, it's almost better to, you, you, can, you can play them less minutes. You can rest them an extra two, three minutes here and there. You can kind of play with their minutes a little bit. 
but at the NBA level, sometimes you've just got to stick with certain guys and and hope. And you know, hey, you can ride a guy. You can you can you can do some subs. Like hey, Tate, they they had one game here. Which game was it? Was it the Utah game? They started the second quarter without Tatum or Brown. One of the games here on the trip, I forget. I'm losing my mind. But one of those games, they started the second quarter without Tatum or Brown. You can do that. You can give those guys added rest, and it's fine. So there are ways to kind of play with the minutes. But to you can't sit a guy and say, well, it's because it's because you didn't have it. Not Tatum, not Brown. Maybe Marcus Smart a little bit down the stretch um, or in certain certain uh, moments, but not not your main guys. Uh, Phillip, given the Celtics' inconsistency this season against average or below average teams, failure to close out games, uh, especially currently, what do you think the future of Robert Williams is? I think he makes a major contribution to the success, but seems injury prone. Do you think Brad will move him? Uh, if the C's go out in the first or second round. So I don't think, I don't think the Celtics are going to look to move Robert Williams. And and he does look, it's fair to say his availability is an issue. That's fair. However, I'm going to say that the meniscus thing is a unique situation, right? I, I really do believe this. And I want to, I'm going to give Rob a little bit of slack here. He tore his meniscus. He tried to come back as quickly as possible to help the Celtics in the playoffs. He tried to recover again in the offseason. And it didn't work. So they went with another surgery to clean things out. So... He didn't get hurt again. It's just he didn't let the knee fully heal the first time around. And to me, that's different. Because if you're going to call him injury prone, it suggests that he got hurt again. And he didn't when it comes to the knee. He didn't hurt the knee again. It's just the by coming back in the playoffs to try to help the Celtics win a championship, which I thought we were giving guys credit for trying to play through stuff. I thought everybody wants this big warrior mentality of I'm playing through these injuries and I'm going to drag my leg and do everything I can to go play. Well, that's what he did. And this is the price that he paid. He, he paid the price of another surgery that cost him the first few months of the season. He came back in December and the ramp up has been slow because of the just working him back in and the style of play. Things have changed, new coach, new style. There's a process there. Now, here comes the bad luck. He lands on somebody's foot. He sprains an ankle. Everybody sprains an ankle in playing basketball. Everybody does. I've sprained my ankle, I mean, a dozen times at least, probably more. Guy is running, uh, gets fouled, pulls a hamstring. Hamstring issues happen all the time. People strain hamstrings all the time playing basketball. So is that, oh my God, he's injury prone. Look at him. He sprained, he, you know, sprained his ankle. That's, that's not, that's, that to me is just 
normal course of playing basketball, anybody at any time can sprain an ankle. Anybody at any time can strain a hamstring. Happens. So I'm pushing back on this notion that he's injury prone. I don't think he's injury prone per se. Now, there were some questions about the left leg because that's where the hip issues used to used to be. And there were some issues there. It's the knee. I do have a little bit of a concern about, hey, is the, is the left leg, is there something physiological about the left leg? But I don't think it's enough to get, get him out of here. I don't think it's enough to um, force the team to move him. He's on a good contract. If there are any concerns with Rob, then maybe you just change how you use him. Maybe he just becomes a bench player. Maybe he becomes, maybe he can only play 25 minutes a game and that's it. And so you have to change. Maybe you have to find a way, make a trade to bring somebody else in to help. But he's so good. He's so good at some of the things that he does that I don't want to just dump him. Because when he's good, when he's healthy, man, he can be very, very impactful. He's so unique that I'm not going to just say, give him up. I'm not. So I think he stays. I think people need to calm down about him. Okay? Too much of the, you know, when he sprained an ankle, people go, oh, oh, see? Oh, see? Like, no, no, no see. People sprain their ankle all the time playing basketball. That's not unique to him. That's not some indictment on him and his body. That happens. Let him, let the knee thing, I hope the knee is, is 100%. At this point, with all the time off, I'm hoping it's 100%. So from there, this other stuff, right now I'm chalking it up to bad luck. All right, let's take a second here. We'll come back. We'll ask, we'll answer your question about Damon Stoudemire leaving. Uh, we'll ask, I got to ask a question about Joe Missoula chewing gum, all kinds of fun stuff. We'll go a little off the rails next. Wrap up the mailbag here. Meriden, Meriden, sorry, says, uh, I asked you earlier this season. I don't completely believe this is the case. The Celtics peak too early. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if the peak too early thing is that that's not, um, I don't think that applies to the beginning of the season. Uh, you could ask if the Milwaukee Bucks are peaking too early. Uh, that could be something because they're on this big roll. You can ask if the uh, Philadelphia 76ers are peaking too early uh, because there's still 10 games left and they're on this big roll and they're on, they're, they're, they're winning a ton and, and you want to be, starting to peak right now. But I think the question of peaking too early is, is, is a late season question. And that's something that if they relax, because all three top seeds are going to relax. Um, and only the third seed will know who they're preparing for. So there's going to be like, kind of a built-in letdown for at least, especially the top two seeds. So that that's going to be something you got to contend with. Even if the Celtics climb up to the top two seeds, you're going to have to contend with that as well. 
there's good and bad. And if you're rolling and you go through this week and you come out in the first game of the playoffs, you're a little rusty, a little shots not falling, you drop that first game, maybe you press a little bit and it gets a little a little dicey the rest of that first series. Hey, that that's possible. That's something that's possible. Um, I mean, I'd rather be the Bucks right now than the Celtics, but you can ask that question. I don't think November is a peaking too early thing. I think they they had their they had their role. It was fueled by the Eme thing. They banded together. They put a lot of the noise out, and they just went out and hooped. And it was great. It was great. And then, then they kind of said, oh, all right, we're, we're good now. They relaxed a little bit, and it's tough to get that back. Does that qualify as peaking too early? No, I think, they, I think that's just the, the, the way the, the season goes, ebbs and flows of the season. So, again, I think, I think a peaking too early question is a late-season question. Uh, I got a question here about Damon Stoudemire from Knicks. Should we read something into him? leaving late in the regular season to go coach a team that's done for the year. Has any other assistant coach ever left an NBA team that he's supposed to be ramping up for a deep player from to go be the coach of a college team that's already done for the summer? Yeah, happens all the time. I mean, it happens all the time. Uh, assistant coaches go into uh, their uh, – I think it happened to – didn't Micah Shrewsbury leave to go coach uh, – was it uh, Penn State? Didn't, didn't he leave to, to go do that in the middle of a season? This happens all the time. It, it, I would read nothing into this because they're not the college team isn't done for the summer. This is where you, this is where you start to do your work. This is where you start to recruit. And if you just get hired, March season's over. This is when the coaching searches are on. They just hired Rick Patino at uh, St. John's. This is when college coaches get hired, March, April. If an assistant coach wants a head coaching job, this is the time that they go do it. And they're not going to wait. They're not going to, you know, mess around. Um, Carol Lawson, she left in the middle of a season, at the end of the season. Remember the Celtics were in the bubble. And she left to go coach Duke women's basketball. So it happens, happens all the time. I read zero, zero into this. Heather, let's have some fun. Heather, is there a direct correlation between the downward trajectory of the Celtics this season and Joe Missoula quitting chewing gum on the sideline? Can you please analyze the stats for us? It's funny. <laughs> I remember Jason Tatum joking around about Joe Missoula chewing gum on the sidelines. That was like the biggest thing. He just chewed like chomp, 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 chomp. And it was a relentless chewing of the gum. And then one day it stopped. And I don't think anybody noticed. Well, I'm, I'm sure people noticed. But none of us, I never, I didn't pay any attention to it. He just stopped. And it just, I don't know if he was sick of talking about it. He probably was. Because media had brought it up. Jason Tatum referenced it in a post game, and he was probably like, you know what? I, if, if people are going to focus on me chewing gum, then I'm going to stop chewing gum because 
I don't want to be distracted by everything. I'm sure that's how it went. I haven't talked to him about it, but I'm sure he wanted to focus on basketball. And because the, um, because it became a topic, I mean, somebody started a Twitter account, Joe Missoula's gum or something like that. Like that's too much. He probably said, no, 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 I I'm, I'm not dealing with this crap. It's stupid. So I'm moving on. And he stopped chewing gum. All right, let's wrap it up. William asked me a two-part, it's a personal question, which I, I don't mind these at all. I like ending on these. These are fun. Two-part question. How was the process for you when you transitioned into being a reporter from being a player? And how has that helped you? Uh, also, how hard is it to separate your fan feelings from your reporter instincts? If you're a fan of any team, I also want to say, uh, I look forward to starting your day with you and Tom. Oh, I, sh- I didn't... <laughs> I didn't mean to read the compliments. I tried to fill those out, but thank you, William. Appreciate it. Uh, I'm sure Tom appreciates that too. Although I don't know, maybe Tom doesn't, hmm, you know, wouldn't put it past Tom to be unappreciative. Actually he is. Tom's a good dude. I can't even, I can't even pretend to have him be a jerk in my fake scenario here. All right, William. So it's important to realize that I didn't go from being a player to being a reporter. Uh, my playing days were a long time ago. Um, I turned 50 this year. My playing days were when I was in my early 20s, and it's been a long time since then. So the process has been very <laughs> gradual. Uh, the My, my kind of path towards becoming a reporter has actually been a very long route where I was actually working behind the scenes in television I worked at Channel 7, WHDH in Boston, WBZ in Boston for like nine years. Um, I went to uh, NBC in New York and Fox 5 in New York. And I've done a lot of different things. I've created shows. I've produced newscasts. I've produced lifestyle shows. I've reported. I've done feature reports. I've done live reports. I've done all those things. Um I haven't anchored a show in 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 uh, prior to this, but I anchored a show, our, our draft coverage on uh, Locked On when we did the draft coverage a few years ago. And that was a big, like, five-hour straight on the anchor desk. Just, <laughs> it was, that was wild. I was anchoring that. So I've done a lot of different things. Um, so the process of, you know, coming uh, to a beat writer, beat reporter has been kind of interesting. I never really actually thought I would be a beat writer. Uh, it's an interesting gig. Uh, I I went to school. I went to Emerson College for broadcast broadcast journalism. My goal when I started out college, it was 1991 when I started college, and Keith Olbermann and Dan Patrick were the big uh, ESPN main anchors. They were awesome, and I wanted to be those guys. And so. Uh, Becoming this a print beat writer is in, you know, in that, in that vague kind of family, but it's not exactly that. And it's been interesting to, to, to do this, especially now in 2023, where what a beat writer was when I was in school versus what a beat writer now, it's completely different. My job right now at Boston Sports Journal is, is completely different. In fact, 
I wouldn't even say that I'm a beat reporter necessarily. I don't think that's broad enough about what I do because I do report on a beat about everything that's happening, but I also am an analyst. I break down what's happening. I am a columnist. I share my opinion on what's happening. Um, I am a broadcaster, a podcaster where I do television. I do video. I do this audio. I it's, it's, it's a very broad kind of job. I'm a little bit of everything now. And we all have to be a little bit of everything in this business. Now it's, it's kind of hard to do this job without having any opinion whatsoever. It's tough. I think, you know, the, the, the Boston Globe still has separation. The bigger outlets still have some separation because they have huge readerships. And so Adam Himmelsbach can be a beat reporter and he can do feature reporting and stuff like that. Um, Gary Washburn can be a columnist and then they get some support from their other columnists like Shaughnessy or Chad Finn. They, they have other people who can come in and provide some content. They can bring in Nicole Yang, who was covering Celtics and then went to the Patriots. They can they can bring in a lot of people to when the Celtics are in the playoffs or in the finals and get a ton of angles covered. They have the manpower to do that. Outlets like Boston Sports Journal or where I was at Mass Live, where they have two people. Tom and I were, were reporters at Mass Live. Now they have Brian Robb and Suichi Tirada, who do a great job. They still have, like, they have a lot of work to do. Um, you normally don't have more than two guys, and those guys are kind of interchangeable. They both do a lot of things. The Herald has Steve Hewitt. They, they, it's just one guy. The Athletic has two guys. Uh, it, but Boston Sports Journal has just me. So we have to do a lot of different things. So the process of becoming a reporter, it, what, whatever you want to call us now, it's an interesting kind of time of time of year or, or just interesting climate, I guess is the best word. So how do you separate fan feelings from reporter instincts? It's just, you have to do it. You just understand that. As I said on a prior mailbag, and I say it all the time when something like this comes up, my number one loyalty is to the game of basketball. So I don't care what jerseys are running around in front of me. My priority is the game of basketball and I'm covering the Boston Celtics. I grew up in, in Rhode Island. I grew up watching Larry Bird and Kevin McHale. And I've said this before, Kevin McHale was my hero. And I, I owe everything that I have in part to Kevin McHale for, for making me good enough at this game to, to, to get to this point. At the same time, my priority is basketball. My loyalty is to basketball. And I hold the Celtics to a standard that I have set. What is great basketball? And that's, that's where everything comes from. What is great basketball? What is winning basketball? And so how do I separate fan feelings from everything else? Just holding the team to that standard. And for example, I like Marcus Smart. I, I, I've said before, I judge players on a lot on what I've liked to have played with this guy. And Marcus Smart's a guy I would have, I, I would have, I would kill 
to have Marcus Smart on my team. If I was a player on the Celtics and Marcus Smart was a free agent and my contract was up, I would take less money so they could sign Marcus Smart. That's how much I want to play with Marcus Smart. At the same time, I have to be real. When he's not playing well, I have to say it. Or my credibility's shot. I can't just sit there and just say, Marcus Smart is doing great when he's not. Now, I think sometimes he's playing better than it seems, and people criticize him for stuff that it's, it's, not, it's not really fair to criticize him for stuff. But my loyalty is to the game of basketball. That's my priority. Are you playing good basketball? If you are, then great. If you're not, then I got to say something. And that's the end of it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter. Joe Missoula, if, he, if I don't think he's coaching great basketball, then I'm going to say it. And maybe I'm wrong. But I have my opinion, and I have my standard, and that's what I'm holding him to. And if I'm wrong, I'll say so. But none of it's personal. I, I walk into that locker room every day. I walk into that locker room, and guys can say whatever they want to me. If anybody has heard something on the podcast, if anybody's seen something that I wrote, I'm there. People can say stuff to me, and no one has. I'm trying to be fair to the game. And I say things if it's critical. Jason Tatum. Let's bring it full circle. I don't think Jason Tatum can come to me. If he wants to, he can. But I don't think he can come to me and deny the stuff that I'm saying. He might have added perspective. He might say, you shouldn't be saying some of this because of the thing, these things that you don't know. And if, I, if that's the case, then tell me and I'll adjust. The more information I get, the more that influences what I think, how I think things are going. But I'm not speaking on a turn by saying, your pull-up jumpers are terrible. The numbers are terrible. Your ISO game is terrible. You're not a good isolation player. The numbers prove it. He's scoring 40% of the time in isolation. That's 53rd percentile in the NBA. Middle of the pack. Average at best. That's, what do you want me to say? The numbers are what they are. We see what we see, man. So that's where my priority is. That's why I can separate fan feelings. And that's it. Now, as a podcaster, for you listening about the Celtics, yeah, I'm, I'm geared towards the Celtics winning. When the Celtics win, I'm trying to match your energy. When the Celtics lose, I will match your energy. If the Celtics win a championship, I will match that energy too because that's something to celebrate. But basketball, number one. Basketball first, teams, personal stuff, that falls way behind. All right, I hope you guys have enjoyed the podcast. Long final answer there. But uh, hope you enjoyed it. And uh, tomorrow, again, Celtics Kings. That starts at 10 o'clock Eastern. I'm not with the team out west. So that podcast will be late. It may be shorter, depending on what my energy level is at that point. But uh, we'll see. Uh, so if, if it's – I will apologize in advance. If it's not as long, uh, maybe I'll have to save some of the, the bigger topics because there's another two days off. And, you know, I'll get into it in the next podcast. So just prepare yourself for that. 
Um, I'll do my best, but that'll be a late, late night. So subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Watch the show on YouTube. Hop in the comments section. Let me know what you think. Tell me what your uh, reactions are to my answers. And uh, share the podcast. Tell everybody you know they should be listening to and watching the Lockdown Celtics podcast here on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day.